Welcome to Replay Value, the podcast that deep dives into the films we love and figures out why we find ourselves watching the same things over and over again. I'm your host, Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. Uh, Now, Warren, um, what movie are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to discuss the first computer animated feature film in cinema history. It changed the face of animation forever. It was Pixar's first feature film. Of course, I'm talking about the computer animated buddy comedy adventure film, Toy Story. Let's go ahead and jump right into it um, and get into talking about the production of the film itself, which is pretty dense given that, like you said, this was the first full-length computer animated film. How did this go about getting made, Warren? Well, Toy Story was a long time in the making. You really, in talking about Toy Story, have to look at it all, you know, it all started with Pixar. And Pixar started way back in 1974. A gentleman by the name of Alexander Schur established CGL, which is the uh, was Computer Graphics Lab. And then in uh, 1974, just to give you some history, the company uh, became part of the Lucasfilm Computer Division as the Graphic Group. And then in 1986, Steve Jobs funded the Graphic Group's ability to spin off as a corporation of their own, Pixar. And the time Steve Jobs became Pixar's majority shareholder. Now Pixar has produced 20 feature films, and of course we all know Pixar would eventually, you know, be bought out by Disney. Disney would become their parent company later in 2006, also making Steve Jobs the largest majority shareholder of Disney at the time. So Steve Jobs is raking in the cash. Yeah, and starting out, you know, um, it was actually kind of a point of contention with Pixar and Disney. Uh, as far as how that merger uh, came to be real quick. I did a little bit of research uh, on this episode. Obviously I had no idea that Pixar originally started back in what'd you say? 74. Mm-hmm. And even then, and even then when Alexander sure established it, his goal was making the first computer animated movie. So again, toy story, long, long time in the making three years before, Star Wars, uh, the, the very first mm-hmm. Star Wars film. That's uh, wow, that's, that's right. insane. Um, now, going into the getting to how this movie itself was made, uh, you know, kind of digging up some some details about it. Um, you talked about Disney and Pixar uh, kind of bec- becoming one. It, it all started out with Pixar making Tin Toy as a short. Yeah, film. I was just I was just going to say that it wasn't until Pixar made a series of short films. But it wasn't until Pixar's success with the Tin Toy short film, which actually won the Oscar for Best Animated Short Film, uh, that that Pixar uh, went on to make a a historic deal with Disney, a $26 million deal to produce three computer animated feature films, the first of which, of course, Toy Story. Yeah, and even though that they had some success, you know, a great amount of success with um, Tin Toy w- winning the Academy Award for Best uh, Short Film or Animated Short Film. I can't remember what the category was back then, but they were actually on the verge of bankruptcy and they desperately needed that this deal with Disney to work out to save the company. And this and this was back when you know they didn't have a proof of concept for Toy, Toy Story. It was very, 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 very much in the early stages of the film being made. And you mentioned you know Steve Jobs 
he was kind of hands off when it came to the animators and the and the, the the script writers for the films. He kind of just handled the business side of things. And like um, you mentioned, uh, Disney uh, having you know the rights for three films, they actually ended up uh, negotiating to the point to where they could cancel the deal with a minimum penalty and continue to make movies with those characters, which Steve Jobs he. he hated and ended up becoming a point of contention between him and Michael Eisner for, for, for many, many years. But I want to get into actually how Toy Story was made. Toy Story, the vision of the film came from the concept of uh, juxtaposition where, you know, you want to show the audience something they're familiar with and then show them a different perspective, like a toy. Um, the creative team at Pixar wanted characters and objects to come to life. A lot of that with the animation started with the movement of objects. You know, we know the the classic Pixar clip they show before every film. You see the 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 the, the lamp, the light lamp move. Uh, there, there's extended tests they did with that, and they found ways to differentiate. Um, you know, young, uh, you know, like a young lamp would move differently, like the, than the parent or right. the adult would. And so they really uh, got very specific. Uh, on the movements and, and, and really, again, bringing some life to that. And this film was a collaboration between tra- traditional animators and computer programmers. And uh, the lamp you're talking about is, is um, Luxor. It was his name, I believe, um, that is the iconic logo that you see hop in. But, you know, even to this day, you know, Incredibles mm-hmm. 2 uh, recently came out. And, you know, it's, it's still there, you know, 20 movies later. But the film itself, like we mentioned, was... Um, it went through a lot of phases before we got the toy story that we know and love today. And mm-hmm. that is a classic to this time um, to get really to jump right into the initial drafts of the story. Um, John Lasseter was the head of production on the film. He directed it, uh, but the script had a lot of problems. Um, and, and whenever he first oh, yeah. showed it to Disney, they they hated. They were going to pull the plug. Yes, it was. Uh, they they'd been working on. It. They were giving them updates every couple weeks, and they screened a small portion of the film. And it's now known as the Black Friday incident. But it was. It couldn't have been more of a disaster. Disney actually canceled production on the film. Uh, Lasseter ended up, you know, admitting that it was just horrible in the in the, in the state that it was. But he was getting pulled in a lot of creative directions, like. Um, you know, Wood, the character of Woody, he was more of a of a dictator at the beginning of it. He was very uh, in the in the initial drafts. He was a sarcastic jerk. He was very unlikable. And as the lead of the film, it, Disney just you know they've got a team of people to make sure the story work, and it just didn't jive. And Woody just wasn't likable. And it's hard to really get invested in the film if you don't like Woody. Yeah, and you can actually, if you watch some behind the scenes or you know the Pixar documentaries, you can see some test footage of you know. Not very, very unfinished animation, but see Woody and you're like, this dude's an asshole. I mean, he really was. I mean, and Lasseter, his first choice, well, we'll get into the casting, but he wanted Woody to be, again, likable. He wanted to be able to feel the emotion through Woody. So they had him shift. So Lasseter kind of went back, kind of locked himself in his office for a couple of months reworked the script turned Woody into a more likable character as far as instead of a kind of a tyrannical leader more of a wise and caring leader and then they also put more focus on Buzz Lightyear not realizing that he is a toy 
Um, and so they didn't. That was so great too. I love that about the character. It, it, it was really perfect. And um, through that, you know, Disney was on board. And, and you know, of course, as the cliche goes, the rest is history. But it really took the production being shut down, and the whole project being almost the script anyway being reworked from scratch. That's they brought Joss Whedon in, who actually has a screenwriting credit on this film. Believe it or not, uh, he's got the top screenplay credit. That's right. If you see it, actually. you are correct. Uh, bought, brought him in to, um, you know, to, to kind of rework it and, and help fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, not only narratively, too, you know, because this was the first computer animated feature film, this is a lot of labor, lots of work. Just to give you an idea of the complication, over 800,000 machine hours, over 114,000 animated frames. Now, there was only 110 people working on the film versus over 800 with Lion King. That's uh, funny you say that. But actually, starting out, the, it only had 24 people working on it, when, and then production mm-hmm. got shut down. And then once Disney was back on board, that's when they increased it up to 110, which sounds like a lot. But compared to the you know previous year's movie Lion King, it's really not. So. It was either 23 or 24 employees, but that was the original number of employees at Pixar, which it got reduced to when they were on their bare-bones budget and almost went broke, as you mentioned before. But Woody alone had over 200 animations just for his head, 58 mouth animations just for Woody. Yeah, and I actually read somewhere that each frame of the film took anywhere from 45 minutes to 30 hours to render which is just absolutely insane and, and you go back and you watch the movie now and it, it's it's good but you can tell it's it's very dated and it should be it's a 23 year old and it film and it was the first you know full-length computer um animated film but you look at something like that released recently um like coco and it's oh my or you know moana or something like that where you're just it is just insane the leaps and bounds and probably how much more efficient they've gotten with this. But it really was a labor of love, a labor of love because they were, they were, uh, you know, plowing the path. They were, they were trailblazers in this sense. So, yeah. And you really, you know, in talking about the production of the film, can't talk about it without mentioning the music. Got to give it to Grammy winner, Randy Newman. He composed the score, wrote three songs and two of the three nominations the film got for Oscars went to best song and best score to Randy Newman. But it was a this this was a big departure from Disney films before the ones we all grew up watching, where the characters didn't sing the songs in Toy Story. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to they, Disney wanted it to be a musical, you know, kind of like Lion King, Aladdin, where the characters sing, and Lassiter was very specific that he did not want that he did not think it would work for the quote-unquote buddy comedy film that type of format and 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 Whedon was absolutely on board with that too Joss Whedon you know ended up being a at the time was a definitely a different approach but uh, I think we could agree for the material it worked and Randy Newman ended up singing the songs himself and uh, they were great and Randy Newman's songs are actually perfect for that being able to use him to convey the character and amplify the character's emotions which you don't think about it. I mean, I, I think about it now when I go back and watch it, but you know, um, I think of the scene when Andy's room is changing from all the Woody theme stuff to, uh, the Buzz Lightyear stuff. And you see the expressions on Woody's face. Normally that would be a perfect moment for a character to break into song and sing it himself. But Randy Newman does it for you. And, and, it, and it, it's, it's amazing how, 
you don't notice it, but it has to, it's, it's perfect that way. One last thing before we move on from the production is, uh, I want to talk about some of the inspirations for the script that Lasseter had. Well, you know, you, you know what his inspiration was for Woody. No, what was it? Uh, he had a toy Casper, the ghost toy growing up and he based Woody on that. That was his favorite toy. And Buzz Lightyear was based on GI Joe because he outgrew Casper and got GI Joe, which is this awesome toy, had all these features and you see a lot of that with Buzz Lightyear. Like a lot of the writers put together their favorite features that toys have, like the hmm. karate chop movement or the light blink or the voice <laughs> activation. Um, I just you said the you said the karate chop movement. I think about when they're in Sid's room. You idiot! You're a toy. Use your karate chop action. Hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, this is perfect. But um, and then you mentioned Buzz. Um, his original name, as most people well know by now. Uh, was Lunar Larry uh, was the original name, and they changed it to Buzz Lightyear as an homage to, uh, to Buzz Aldrin. There you go. Uh, but the, as far as the script, the writing, the um, the tone of the film, uh, being a buddy comedy or buddy duo, um, movies like The Defiant Ones, 48 Hours, Midnight Run, Odd Couple, uh, uh, were all inspirations for Lasseter uh, because he wanted to show or tell a story of two people that had different attitudes that were thrown together. And normally you wouldn't feel like that, that would work in you know a Disney kids film, but it, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, like we said earlier, changing and pivoting the script to that type of format, there's no telling if this movie would have made theaters had, had they not thought of that brilliant move. So I just, um, you, you never know what could be, but it's, absolutely just a, a perfect decision on their part yeah well the buddy cop chemistry you know that is a some of my favorite films you, know, you talk about like lethal weapon even bad boys i mean you even got like the buddy cop but buddy adventure period like midnight run you take these two characters who are completely different and they have different objectives and they're in different places but somehow they come together and that's some of the most moving parts of the film is that relationship and how it evolves especially at the end i mean i they won't leave each other behind. You know, it's like when Buzz gets stuck in the fence, you know, Woody's on the truck, he could make it, you know, and yeah. he turns back and risk his own. It's like, we're in it together. It's either all of us or none. And that relationship really does work in the film, regardless of what the rating is, whether it's an R rated film or even this film for, for a family, that relationship you can plug into uh, any story for any audience. And I think it's relatable. That camaraderie, that forms when two characters, you know, so to speak, go through the fire mm -hmm. uh, and, and come out the other side uh, together. You know, you, they've, they've been through some shit, so to speak, you know. Sure. But moving on to, uh, you know, when the movie came out, uh, it premiered November 19th, 1995, was released theatrically in the United States, November 22nd, 1995, had a budget of $30 million, and its box office gross was 373 just over 373 million which made it number 1 for the year in in box office uh in box office proceeds. Now you uh you you said that the budget was 30 million. I think originally Disney wanted to make it either 13 or 17 million and it was just there was no way that it could be done. And you think about, you know, 30 million now and I know there's been some inflation over the past 20 years but super super cheap considering the the haul that it ended up having the, you know, what Pixar became the other toy story movies, merchandise, but 
uh, of the 373 it made million it made worldwide, 191 of that was domestic, mm. and uh, 29 million of that being what it pulled in its opening weekend. Now, just to kind of compare that, if you were to put that into 2018 dollars, that 191 million becomes 401 million dollars domestically, which is it makes uh, it a monster. And it was a monster at the it's time. A juggernaut. Yeah, it was. And uh, also it had three Oscar nominations, as we mentioned when we talked about the music for Best Score, Best Song. But Toy Story was also the first animated film to be nominated for Best Screenplay. And it went on to win a special award uh, at the Academy that year, uh, just because everyone knew at the time, and the actors say this, the producers say this, even John Lasseter, when everyone was going to work, Everyone knew they were part of something that was groundbreaking. They'd never seen anything like it. And you knew right away it was. And it, and it changed animation forever. Um, and, and so the Academy acknowledged it and recognized the film that year right away. Because keep in mind, this was before the Best Animated Feature Film category, which, which wasn't introduced until 2001. Now, since that court category was introduced, Pixar has been nominated you know, almost every year for that category and the countless films that have come out since. And, and won quite a bit of them. And, and the Rotten Tomatoes, Toy Story at 100% rating out of 79 reviews, and its Metacritic was 95 out of 100, which indicates universal acclaim. So across the board, with audiences, with the Academy, with the critics, you know, uh, the, the box office proceeds, as we mentioned, it was a success in, in, in every dimension. Uh, that a film can be when they worked on it they knew that how special it was that's actually one of the main reasons they were able to increase their staff up to 110 people is because they actually didn't have to pay large salaries for it because the animators and the artists coming in they knew that like i'm going to be a part of the staff that works on the first full-length computer animated film i mean it was it's a once in a lifetime opportunity so they Actually, took a lot of them took decreased pay just so they could get on the staff to do that. Yeah, and they did. And keep in mind, you know, I don't think now you can make a movie like that. I'm sure Pixar's crews on each one of their feature films is way more than that. This is way back in 1995 when you can make a movie like this for 30 million with 110 people. And back in 1995, I mean, gas was a Dollar nine a pump on average in America. Stamps are only 32 cents. Bill Clinton was president. And ER, Seinfeld, and Friends ruled television. If we all remember the NBC must-see TV. Well, um, now two. Well, now two of those rule Netflix and and Hulu because people still stream those shows all the time. So because they, they have a high replay value. There you roll credits. Yeah. Uh, now, Coolio, Gangster's Paradise, was the number one Billboard single uh, for the year, and that segues us into the movies from that year: Dangerous Minds. Braveheart, which won Best Picture, one of my personal favorite all-time movies. Apollo 13. Another Tom Hanks film. Yeah, wow. Tom Hanks, that which was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Batman Forever. I think Apollo 13 should have won Best Picture over Braveheart. Just a side note there, but continue. No, no I disagree. Braveheart is a worthy winner. Uh, Seven came out that year. Usual Suspects. Clueless. Heat. Babe. Die Holy Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, God. yeah, Casino, Crimson Tide, Billy Madsen, Tommy Boy, Casper, Jumanji, GoldenEye, and Pocahontas, just to mention some honorable mentions there for the year. So a very competitive year in 1995 uh, for uh, American film. Um, 
a lot of really good movies came out this year. And again, even though you know uh, Braveheart won Best Picture and Toy Story wasn't nominated for that category, uh, Toy Story still proved to be the most popular movie with audiences that year. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into the casting of the movie. How did, um, you know, how, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but I want to start off with talking about Woody. How did, mm. how did Tom Hanks, how, how did he get this, this job? Well, they had Tom Hanks in mind from the get go. Yeah, uh, they to did. Play Woody. They, they, Lassiter didn't want anybody no, else. No, didn't want anybody else. They visualized his voice. In fact, um, they brought uh, Hanks in and showed him some footage and used some of his voice from Turner and Hooch just to kind of give him an idea of what was possible, and he loved it. Also, what drew him to the movie, Tom Hanks talks about this. Is real quick, he, sorry, w- sorry, real quick. You talked about, yes, they actually animated Woody with some Turner and Hooch dialogue. That is a very common Pixar practice whenever they're trying to decide before they even bring actors in, if they have like a short list of people in mind, they will take some dialogue that they've done in a different film and animate it to see does this work as the voice of the character. They still do that to this day. Yeah, and they well in this case they use it to convince Tom Hanks uh, that he should take it. And what also drew Hanks to the role is he, he talked about this when he was a kid. He always wondered if his toys were alive when he left the room. And so he was really intrigued by the narrative and the story of the movie. And it is a very interesting concept that's been played on very much since then. Uh, but he was the first choice. And this was Tom Hanks at the pinnacle of his career, or certainly one of his pinnacles. I think we'll agree. Tom Hanks has continued to do excellent work. I think he, we take him for granted because uh, he's so good. Um, I even think of Captain Phillips here just a few years ago. He's continued to do excellent work. Oh, yeah. But this is him coming off. He was the two-time defending Best Actor Oscar winner for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, 93-94. This was 95. Right. He had Apollo 13 coming out. Then it was just a couple short years later, he would have a Saving Private Ryan come out, be nominated for that, and then cast away. So this was in the midst of the Hanks 90s run, which – was I mean historically is one of the greatest runs an actor's ever made in a decade, and uh, we get clutch vintage Hanks in this movie as Woody. And you know Lassiter really wanted Tom Hanks. That was his first and really only choice because they didn't have to go to anybody after that. But the main reason they did is because Hanks has that ability, and probably why he has been such a timeless movie star for so long. He has that ability to make like any character likable and to, and to make you feel the emotion of the character. And one of the examples that I read that Lassiter uh, was looking at was his character in league of their own, you know, by all accounts, you know, he, a super huge asshole. I mean, just a super (laughs) jackass. Yeah. He's great. He's so great though. He's great in the film. But like if, if another actor played that you would, you would hate that guy, but instead you root for him. And that's the thing is, Tom Hanks can, you know, you know, in a different light, maybe if they cast someone else, Woody would have reverted back to being that initial draft where he's a very unlikable, you know, unlikable guy or unlikable toy uh, in this case. But Tom Hanks is just one of a rare breed that can deliver on that uh, and, and, and bring that likability to a character. America's most trusted actor, our modern day Jimmy Stewart. Um, and he's likable in about every role he does. Now, it wasn't the case with Buzz Lightyear in terms of them knowing who they wanted to play it right away. They actually looked at a lot of people for Buzz Lightyear. Um, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Mel Gibson. Uh, Billy Crystal actually turned down the role. 
he said it was one of his uh, biggest regrets mm. uh, turning down that role. He did end up going on to play Mike Wazowski in Monsters, Inc., another Pixar film. Mm. So. Mm. Yeah, so they eventually settle uh, with Tim Allen, uh, which Tim Allen crushes this. He's so good in the role. Now, with Potato Head, Don Rickles, it was also the same case with Woody. That was perfect casting. He was the first choice to play Potato Head, and he happened to be available. And so, and you, you really love Don Rickles playing that. The Potato Head characters just, you know, there's a running gag through the film that he always keeps losing his facial features uh, constantly. And it's even at the end of the movie when they're in the moving truck and it happens at the end. It's still funny. I, I'm laughing through the whole movie every time it happens. And Don R- Rickles just hits every comedic uh, note that there is in the part and then brings a lot more to it. And um, Or um, at the end when he uh, when they are, they're celebrating Christmas and they're announcing the, the toy, you know, the... The army men are announcing the Christmas presents. They're like, uh, Mrs. Potato Head. He's like, oh, I need to shave. And he just pulls off his mustache. Mustache, yeah. yeah. It's pretty great. But this is a you know ensemble cast. You know, a lot of great character actors in, 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 uh, in these parts. Um, Jim Varney, a.k.a. Ernest P. Worrell, uh, as the Slinky Dog. Um, yes. Love him in that. And he really nailed that voice in terms of giving it a southern draw and a little bit of gruffness. And he had said that he got inspiration, like when his dog wanted something, he wouldn't just bark, he would try to talk, like he would try to say, you know, like, <laughs> and so he kind of based some of that uh, rough, gr- gruffness and roughness in the voice, uh, kind of drew from that uh, in, in finding the uh, Slinky Dog's voice. Uh, Rex. Wallace Shawn. Wallace yeah. Shawn from Princess Bride crushes this uh, part. Now, Joss Whedon cr- created Rex, so this is a Joss Whedon touch, but this neurotic, insecure wreck of a dinosaur, some of the best lines in the film come for Rex. Every time he says something, you just laugh out loud. Uh, he has the perfect voice for it, and of course, you can't mention him without thinking of the inconceivable line, but it just, he fits that. Uh, I, I, when we, we get into talk about who we would cast in the movie today, that is one of the ones I had a real trouble with. So, but Wallace Shawn was so so well cast in so that. So well, yeah. Now you got Ham, who was played by John uh, Ratzenberger, who mailman from Cheers. Uh, now this character was the know-it-all, you know, on top of the shelf, kind of the lookout man for all the toys. If you remember, he's always on top of the bookshelf looking out the window. He's like, "Staff meeting's over, birthday party here." Getting John to play that, you, you just really see Lasseter and the team at Pixar did such a phenomenal job in finding the right actors to play these parts and to bring a, a little bit of personality and humanity to each one. Of course, you got to mention Annie Potts as Bo Peep. Real quick, uh, Ratzenberger, as most people know, he has a small or sometimes large voice role in every single Pixar film. It's um, He has not missed a one. So. Hmm. That's I don't a, know if you knew that. Yeah. No, I, did, I did not know that. Uh, Annie Potts from Ghostbusters plays Bo Peep, uh, the love interest of Woody throughout the film, and uh, really brings the perfect demeanor and, and, and voice inflection for the character. Uh, makes it very believable uh, in, in, in her performance. And uh, you've got Andy, played by John Morris. Now, this actor did Nightmare Before Christmas and pretty much just Toy Story. He hasn't really done anything outside of that. Um Miss Davis, played by Lori Metcalf. Now, who is who is Miss Davis for those people that don't know? That's Andy's mom. Now, how do you know her Miss? Da- how do you know her name is Miss Davis? Because they give it to you in the credits. That's the only way you know that. They don't actually tell you that during the movie. Now, what's interesting is that he didn't have a dad 
The reason being they couldn't afford it. Humans at the time were very expensive to do in these computer animated features. So uh, all of the human characters in the movie are variations of Andy, Miss Davis, Andy's mom, and then Andy's sister. But uh, Laurie Metcalf, brilliant actress uh, on all mediums, uh, the stage, film, and television, three-time Emmy winner, two-time Tony winner, and Oscar nominee most recently for Lady Bird. Uh, but to real, be real, honest, su- real surprised they got her for this because it's not a big role. You don't even think about her. I mean, it's such a minor. Like I don't even look at her as like a main character, uh, even a character in the film. It's such a small part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it's almost like a cameo. Like the what you really focus on the the characters and the casting is is the toys because that's who care that, that's who carries the film. I mean, Andy's mom is just kind of in and out same with Andy really he doesn't have a whole well, she lot serves a purpose in the story because all kids have their mom calling out to him dinner toys party and, and you know her scenes are booked into the movie she's in the beginning she's in the end but again really surprising they got an actress of her stature to play this role but I think again everybody knew at the time how groundbreaking this film was and when you have names like Tom Hanks aboard uh and Disney backing it you know I think a lot of people wanted to be involved and last but not least Sergeant uh played by Arlie Ermey uh, from Full Metal Jacket, his character was actually inspired by the character from Full Metal Jacket. So, yeah, I mean that's pretty clear when you watch the film. Yeah, that, first choice. Uh, yeah, I mean he just and that was another one that I had a trouble picking someone else because it's like, I mean shit, he is this character. Great cast, they did a great job. Uh, if there's nothing else you got on casting, I think we are ready to move on to our favorite scenes and quotes of the movie. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'm going to kick this off. We'll start out with the favorite scene. My, and and there, and we say, I feel like we say this every film, a lot to choose from. Uh, there are some really, really great set pieces and moments in this movie. But my favorite one actually occurs very early on in the film. And it's when the toys are preparing to play recon for the birthday party. All right, man, you heard it. Code red, repeat. We are at code red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Let's move, 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 move. And how they set up, go about getting the baby monitor down, and they use the jump rope to go off the rail of the staircase, and then they like they hide in the bushes or the little the little plant. And then it's great, just like there's a, there's a dramatic moment where like Andy's mom comes out and steps on one of the army men, and then like kicks them to the side. And, and doesn't think anything about it, which is very realistic. They, he, she just thought Andy left them out. I've got cool ranch and barbecue. Ooh. What in the world? Oh, I thought I told him to pick these up. The whole, the whole recon scene and how they approach the birthday party is, uh, I, I just love how they went about doing that, making it realistic. Oh. Go, go on without me. It's just go. A good soldier never leaves a man behind. You just don't even think about it, but it's just, it was very, very clever, and it I, I, it still is great to this day when I watch it. I agree, and, and that's amongst some of my nominees I'll have for best scene is this film has such a strong start, and I really enjoy it. But right before that, which this scene leads right into the recon for the birthday, Andy's birthday party, is the staff meeting. When they call staff, is this your favorite scene? No, these are nominees, but uh, that I give. Uh, but the staff meeting right before, and that's what I'm saying. The film has such a strong start. 
the staff meeting leading into the the birthday party recon, you know, you have such a sense of community with these toys. Everyone serves a purpose. You kind of see they have their roles. Uh, Woody's clearly, you know, mayor of the toy town. And it's just interesting to see how they function in that capacity. And, and again, it's that uh, juxtaposition where you show us familiar items, but you show us a different angle and use that creative ingenuity to kind of breathe life into it. And you see that throughout the screenplay. That's why it was nominated. Uh, and that's why we have so many great lines, you know, like when they're talking, uh, you know, to uh, uh, Buzz Lightyear and they're like, you know, where are you from? And he's like, I'm from uh, I'm from play school. You know, it's like just there's just brilliant uh, little things sprinkled in there. But really uh, love the ingenuity. And I'm from Mattel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah and I, well, not Mattel. It was this uh, subsidiary Mattel that was bought out in a merger, leverage merger. Like he goes on again, Rex has some great comedic <laughs> lines about it. But, you I know, the, that, I, yeah. I love the ingenuity they use in that strong start of those first st- scenes, the staff meeting. And then the Army Troop Recon, uh, you know, Buzz getting drunk on the tee. That's one of my favorite scenes, too, when they're at the... Uh, uh, Sucking down Jarjeeling with Marie Antoinette and her sister or whatever, yeah. But my favorite scene is when Buzz realizes he's a toy. I knew you were going to pick that. That that's good. That that it as and then you have the Randy Newman song coming in. Very very powerful. Very good. Mm. Yeah, I really do love that scene, and you just see the change from and Buzz Lightyear to me is really my. I love the character arc he has because he's so enjoyable at the beginning when he really believes he's the space ranger, and it's just so fun to watch him when he first crash lands. You know, and he's and, like. Uh, um, trying to fix his ship and, yeah and uh, it's he, just throughout the whole thing even when they show him under the blocks doing it it's like he's got his objective he's so focused and then you just see that change in him and um yeah so uh, a lot like we always say with the because we we do discuss some awesome movies there's always a, a handful of amazing scenes makes this difficult to pick but again that's my favorite scene now getting into our favorite quote which this was kind of difficult for me because there's the one line that everyone knows the the quote um that you know i'm sure you're all thinking of right now i won't say it in case it's yours warren but my favorite quote was you are a toy you weren't the real buzz like you you're now you're an action figure you are a child's plaything. you are a sad strange little man and you have my pity 
farewell. Reason why I picked that one is just, and it's more of an exchange. Again, it's not just one line. It is Woody going on his little tirade there, but he finally reaches his boiling point, and you think that it he's finally going to penetrate Buzz's uh, kind of delusional mind, but Buzz just brushes it off. You are a sad you know little man, and I pity you, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the exchange there. Woody at his peak, Buzz dismissive. It's just classic. Yeah, he's got no idea what's going on. They're just on two different wavelengths completely. That's a good choice. I uh, I certainly um, enjoy that relationship. As we talked about, it's one of the better parts of the films, and, and that's certainly one of the more enjoyable moments you get to see them play off each other, uh, that exchange. Uh, now, as we mentioned before, Rex has a lot of great lines. Every line he's got makes me laugh. Probably my favorite of his is, Look what handy gets another dinosaur. A mean one. I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection. I mean, <laughs> it's just so funny. And, you know, uh, it just, just this neurotic, insecure character has a lot of great one-liners in this. Uh, they're all for comedic purpose. Um, I love Potato Head when he's like, Bedsheets, who invited that kid? Uh, that's one of my nominees. <laughs> like, I love that's that. A, that is a really good yeah, one. Yeah, it's a yeah. great one. Um, and then, of course, you have the legendary... To infinity and beyond! That's the one that I didn't want to say because I thought you might pick it. No, 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 no. I'm going to go, and I mentioned the moment a second ago when we were talking about favorite scenes. I'm going to go with when... Buzz first arrives after the birthday party. Uh, Andy puts him on the bed. They run out of the room because there's pizza or food or some reason for all the kids to run out all of a sudden. And Buzz is standing there with his hands on his hips, and they have this great shot of Woody looking up over the bed and seeing Buzz standing there. Yes, that's a great great shot. Yeah, great shot. But the quote, more like a monologue than a line or a quote probably. The first time we're introduced to him when he first speaks, it's just his first line when he – you know, is reacting to being in what he calls this alien world. Buzz Lightyear to Star Command. Come in, Star Command. Star Command, come in. Do you read me? Why don't they answer? <gasps> My ship! Blast. This will take weeks to repair. Buzz Lightyear mission log, Stardate 4072. My ship is run off course en route to Sector 12. I've crash landed on a strange planet. The impact must have awoke me from hypersleep. Terrain seems a bit unstable. No readout yet if the air is breathable. And there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah! Ah! I really love that quote by Buzz. <laughs> and because, again, it, we, we what makes this... Part of what makes the film so fascinating uh, and enjoyable to watch, not only with the animation and the, the, the buddy relationship, but is that Buzz really thinks... He's a space ranger. He doesn't know he's a toy. And that's just such a genius um, uh, character to have in the story. It really is. Um, and kind of to play off of that that quote, that scene a little bit, is it reminds me of watching the movie. Um, and I obviously didn't pick up on this when I was a kid, but you know, some of the adult humor in it, you know, whenever he's showing off his laser and he's like, oh, it's not a laser. It's a little light bulb that blinks. And Potato Head's like, mm, laser envy. You know, it's kind of like a, yeah. you know what he's really trying to say. Uh, and then he at one point causes uh, Buzz Lightyear light beer. 
and that, that's just to name a couple of them. I know there are a few more that I'm not thinking of. In the well, film, like I'm not going to, I could say the word, but I'm not going to because preschool kids are present. That, so yes, they, that's, yeah, that's they, another one. Yes. They, they have moments in there. And I think Disney movies have been doing that for a long time because they know parents have to sit through these. So if they can put a joke in there, that's not inappropriate or that's going to contaminate the children's experience with something inappropriate, but they could put something in there for the adults to just kind of get a laugh for themselves. They've been doing that for a long time. And this film certainly has uh, sprinkles of that throughout. Yeah, that, then that's the genius of the writing, and, and I can I always appreciate that in a kid's film, especially now at, as a father and I have to watch the same kid's films over and over again. You like it when they kind of play to adults a little bit, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very hard to straddle that line between making a kid laugh but not knowing what they're laughing at and then the adult laugh and actually getting the joke. So mm-hmm. I, I really love that. Yeah. Uh, so let's shift to if the movie were made today – who would we cast as the voice actors? I'll let you go ahead and kick it off. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to start with uh, Woody. No nominees here. We're going to get right to the winner. Yeah, we, we've got a lot to go through, so let's just let's just yeah, get, we're gonna get limit to the winners. It, yeah, to the winners here. Uh, Woody, I would cast Robert Downey Jr. Uh, motherfucker. I, oh, oh, my God. You have no idea. I was so close to picking him super super close i ended up going that's very good i ended up going with jason bateman i mm. feel like he'd be a great woody as far as i mean you know it's really hard to cast these because unlike live action when we cast some of these films later a lot of these actors could still do the voiceover work so you really have shit, to i mean there's there's another toy story coming out in 2019 toy story four com- yeah yeah coming out next year so i mean like and a lot of these characters except for the ones that have passed on are going to be reprising their roles so mm-hmm. yeah all right, so who did you have for Buzz? All right, for Buzz, I had Patrick Warburton from The Tick and Rules of Engagement. Fuck, that's good. Oh, man. That, and he, I was he's kinda... one of those rare actors. He could probably play a live-action Buzz. Jesus Christ, that is super good. Oh, my God. I, is... And I know he's not a big name, but I really love him, and he's got that voice. Hey. Hey, oh, good. You're home. Listen, I was talking to some oh, people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I... Just walked in the door. If we're going to talk, i got to get a can of listening juice. Hey. Hi. He, he would be perfect. I love him as Kronk in Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> he's, yeah. He, if you've never seen that, it's it's wonderful. He makes the film. Man, that is, oh, that is so good. Um, For my Buzz Lightyear, I actually cast Josh Brolin. Which I do feel mm. like he would he he could he could do it yeah. and he's got that voice for it. Sure, I feel like he could play it and it would be a little different than the Tim Allen the the Patrick Warburton like you said would be kind of very very much in that same vein. Um, but uh, anyway, so let's I go like ahead it. and keep moving to Mr. Potato Head. I'll go ahead and go first. My cho- Don Don Rickles, you know, may rest in peace, has passed. So. You would. I don't know what they're going to do with T- Toy Story 4. Maybe he already recorded his lines. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But if I had to cast it today, I would choose another comedian, Bill Burr. Bill Burr. Wow. He was my only character on here. I had a nominee as Bill Burr. And he's really perfect for it because he's an angry comedian. I went with Lewis Black. I can see that for sure. We, we kind of had the same you know, wavelength, we're on the same wavelength as far as what we were thinking that we needed for the character, but uh, we just kind of went in a slightly different direction. But I do have Bill Burr wrote down in parentheses if that's worth anything, but I did, I do have Lewis Black as my choice. So, yeah, if I like, if 
if I had to kind of going back to the Woody, if I had a second choice, I would have gone with 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 uh, with Downey. All right, so Slinky Dog, I had another person with a nice Southern draw, Matthew McConaughey. Oh my God, that's who I have. I have Matthew McConaughey. Yes. I do it. Oh, that's great. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, Slinky Dog. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. I think he would have that Southern draw, just like Jim Varney brought, bring a little something different to it, and uh, would be very enjoyable to listen to what he what, what he did or what 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 he would do. Excuse me. Right, and I kind of actually was like, who who would I pick? Who would I? I mean, Jim Varney. Just like who who could you cast that? And then as soon as I thought of McConaughey, I was like, yes, there is no other option. Um actually skipped over uh rex uh that we had here on our uh on the list so you go ahead and go who who would you have as your rex josh gad shit oh damn it i should have thought of that fuck that's so good <laughs> yeah who, who do you have i love josh gad too i don't know why i didn't think of that man fuck he'd be really good at rex too you know he'd crush it he no he would that that's a perfect cast i can't beat that i picked michael Cera, which i think he would be good he not bad, but I think Josh Gad is, is, is the better yeah, choice. I think you can't go wrong with either one. They're both pretty good choices. Yeah, but, I mean, Josh Gad, he's done a lot of stuff. He's, you know, Disney, you know, Beauty and the Beast. He's uh, in the Frozen movies as uh, fucking Snowman. I cannot think of his name right now. Olaf. Okay, moving on. Who did you have as Ham? Ham, I went with Danny McBride. That's good. I, I like that. It's very, very good. <laughs> kind of a know-it-all, you know, up there in the, yeah. I want to see this version of Toy Story that you would cast. This would be very, very good. And expensive. And ex- well, I mean, Pixar's got the money now. Shit. Yeah. Um, they, they got, you know, they could hire whoever they want. Touche. For Ham, I would actually cast a John Ham. I hey. almost did that. I swear. <laughs> we almost had like three or four of these of the same. We like barely... Just went in different directions. Good choice um, though. John John Ham would be good for Bo Peep. I, I kind of I had I'll say one nominee and I and I crossed her out. I had Jennifer Lawrence mm, um, okay as my nominee. I crossed it out and I went with Anne Hathaway as Bo Peep. Oh, I like that. She'd be really good at that. She and she's another actress that could or, or actor who could play the part live action as well as voiceover. I feel like yes. Um, yes. I went with Ellie Kemper again. Right on the nose, man. You are, God, I feel like you beat me at this every fucking episode. You're so good. Well, it's it's, it's subjective. It's subjective. So, well, I mean, it's subjective, but I would be, I think, more biased towards my decisions. And you're, that's very, very good. Um, All right. Last. So, you know, so who do you have for Andy? Did you cast Andy or anybody else? You know, as a. you know, for for being that you had to probably go with a child actor or uh, and they were such small roles, only cast the only cast the toys, the mm-hmm. voice actors for the toys. I didn't do Andy or uh, his mom. So I did. Uh, so l- let's the w- last one that I did was, uh, was Sergeant Sarge. OK, Sergeant. Yeah. Um, who who did you have? I have Dale Dye, who is from Platoon. Saving Private Ryan, he was even Entourage. If you remember when Vinny Chase was training to become Aquaman, he's like, all right, Aquaman, let's get in the ocean. That old guy who's giving him the lessons, yeah. he's oh, always yeah. played military guy, would be perfect for this role, and I feel like Dale Dye, I think, would be great in that part. Uh, my choice, a little off the wall, uh, but I feel like he could do it and would crush it. I had Jim Carrey. Okay, different direction there, not a classic. But, you know, he could cook up some great comedic, 
military voice. Uh, he's talented enough where you feel like he could bring he, he could he he could pull it off. Yeah, and he wouldn't have to be the lead. I feel like this would, he could do it really well. Um, as far as he could pull, you know, he could channel some sort of uh, military um, superiority figure. Um, okay, so go ahead and you finish it off with um, Andy and uh, Andy's mom. Yeah, Andy. I had Jacob uh, Tremblay from Wonder and the Room, or Room. Sure. The movie I, with I, Brie Larson. I know the Room. I just. Again, it's just it's Andy. It's just I feel like the gamut is wide open as far as it's such a minor character. It's the well, I just I just went with the main voice cast. I just look at the main cast as usual, sure. uh, and I do tend to okay. overcast these as people in some previous episodes. I tend to cast a couple that you don't. Um, it's one of my favorite uh, parts of the episode, and and I really love actors. I really love seeing good actors do great work, and I like to imagine what good actress would do in different parts. It's really a fun part for me. So you should be uh, a casting director because you're very good at this game. Yeah. Um, well, uh, but uh, let's see, uh, for Miss Davis, Andy's mom, I would go and I'm going to pull a page from Chuck Lorre here. I would cast Zoe Perry, which is Lori Metcalf's daughter. Uh, she's a sensational actress, not as big of a name as her mom yet, but certainly I think just as talented. Uh, and, uh, she would, I think, be would really be good in just having the the, the, the role kind of passed to her, as Chuck Lorre did in Big Bang Theory with uh, her playing uh, Sheldon's mother in Young Sheldon. That's an interesting, it'd be kind of a cool Easter egg there. I like that. That's very good. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to close out with uh, some of the influence um, and legacy of the movie, starting with uh, what I like to, to talk about Um is the fan theories for the film. And there were a lot, there are a lot of Toy Story fan theories, but um, I did, I did not want to discuss any that come to play in later Toy Story films. So I'm going to miss a couple big ones because they are more impactful, especially in Toy Story 3. And there's a big one in Toy Story 2. They kind of tie into story, toy, the first film, but I just want to focus on ones that are exclusively for the first film. And I only had a couple. Uh, one, you talked about earlier, um, Andy's Andy's dad. Um, you said that they didn't want to animate or they couldn't animate a another character. It was too expensive. But what I think really, um, or I guess not me, but the person who came up with this fan theory, and it's pretty obvious when you think about it, is that Andy's parents are divorced. Um, is that his dad is out of the picture because the marriage fell apart. Uh, it's a very, very theory. Uh, it's a very, very easy theory to swallow because number one, the dad isn't mentioned in the films. Um, a, a major plot point of the film is the family moving from, uh, you know, from where they're at now to a smaller home, which could be the result of, of the divorce. Um, Andy's mom, if you look very closely, she doesn't wear a wedding ring in, in the, um, in the movie, another sign of divorce and, um, and all the pictures around the house, you see the sister and the mother and Andy, but you never see the father pictured. So, uh, it could be a situation where the dad abandoned the family or they got divorced, but. I or think, it could be a situation where he maybe just unfortunately passed when the kids are really young. Well, well, the thing is, is that if that would have happened, he would still be in the family photos. And sometimes a parent, it depends if a widow would maybe still have the wedding ring. But I think the more telling thing is that he would still be 
in the family pictures. I think that is the most telling. Whereas with a a divorce, there's a little bit more animosity there. We don't want to, you know, or if it's an abandonment, you know, you don't want um, to think about that. But there's this absence in uh, Andy's life because of it. And that's why he looks to Woody and Buzz as like these authority figures, a sheriff and a, and a spaceman. So I think it's it's a theory that has a lot of water. What do you think? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I I don't I can't debunk it. Um, again, they don't really elaborate on it, but uh, I think since they don't have the father in it, I'm sure they thought of something narratively speaking to justify or explain that you know uh, in the story. You know, they really don't give us anything specific, though, do they? They don't, but it's just it's kind of just some subtext there, just enough so people can take it and kind of run wild with it. But it's never been confirmed or anything like that. But I think consultants that were that worked with Toy Story, they've kind of half half asked um, agreed with it. But it's just, it's one of those where it's could be. I think the, the 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 creators kind of have kept it kept it open. They haven't completely debunked it, you know. Uh, and the last fan theory, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm bringing this one up, but it just it was so funny. I had to um, that The Walking Dead is based off of Toy Story because it is a. Uh, <laughs> You're fucking what the fuck? I did don't 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 they don't kill the messenger man. Right. I it it's a it kind of came about as a theory of two or three years ago, there's a YouTube video about it. Um, it just has a lot of similarities to the animated films. Um, you know, there's a sheriff who has uh, a kid he adores, uh, which, you know, and that he leads a group of misfits around. So, and then there's some more tie-ins like later, like you have like some more like characters, like in toy story three, you know, lots who could guess to be compared to like, Negan and you just have to watch the video to get all the details about it. One that's it's it's very much a, a stretch, so I don't really agree with it. But I thought it was kind of funny that somebody even th- would think of it. Okay talking about the uh, influences that this film has had on the industry. Um, we have to start by talking about what it's done for Pixar as a company, 20 films later, numerous Academy Award wins and nominations. Um, you know, it, it just, it really launched the era of fully um, computer animated films in the sense that that's pretty much the only type of kids movie that comes out these days. You don't see hand-drawn animation anymore. Yeah, I was just going to say we don't see it anymore. And and I wonder, we have to look when the last one was made. It wasn't too long ago, but I want to say it's at least been 10 years since they released one. Uh, they've really just kind of shifted away from it. And I think probably, probably, uh, yeah. probably the princess and the frog, I would say. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, but the hand-drawn animation is so much, as we talked about, look at the staff, 800 with Lion King versus 110 with Pixar. I think the hand-drawn animation is, even not to discredit how difficult it is to do computer animation, it's obviously painstaking and very labor-intensive and takes a lot of time and dedication. But even the hand-drawn animation is really, uh, takes even longer to do. Um, and it's probably one of the reasons they've gotten away from it. 
Disney's last traditionally animated films were The Princess and the Frog in 2009 and 2011's Winnie the Pooh. So it's yeah, it's been down you know seven years at this. Winnie 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 the Pooh. It's a Winnie the Pooh's a good one to go out with. It's a very much so. This film again. We talked about how it won an Oscar Special Award, so people knew right away how significant an impact and how groundbreaking it was and what it really meant for the film industry and for computer animation films moving forward. And look at what it's birthed. As you said, 20 Pixar films, and DreamWorks is obviously a computer animation films, but it all started with Pixar. It all started with Toy Story. And the Toy Story was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the U.S. Library of Congress, one of only six films selected in its first year of eligibility. So, you know, this show, we talk about movies at least five Five years after they came out so we can put in proper perspective their impact and their legacy but this is one of those rare films where people knew right away you know it's not one of those that you know cult classic that gained some life years later you know its quality stood the test of time and the truth was revealed to how good it was people knew right away people loved this movie right away people knew how important it was one billion percent revolutionized the industry and you may have as a listener been thinking like what the fuck why, why the fuck are they doing toy story when you've seen some of the other films we've talked about absolutely deserves a place amongst the uh, the pantheon uh even as an animated film you know as i said earlier uh, my kids love watching the same movies over and over again and this one retains a very very high replay value for me even though i've seen it you know a few dozen times at this point probably within the past six months they they love it as children, and I still love it as an adult. Growing up, when I watch it, it still uh, retains that wonder to me. And given that it birthed, again, a whole shift in the industry, uh, the influence uh, that it just had is just indescribable. Yeah, and it's for all audiences. And it's one of the few film trilogies, and well, there, now there's going to be a fourth feature coming out, but it's one of the few so far, at least with the first three of this film franchise, um, that all have been rewatchable and there's certainly trilogies we could talk about where not every film of the trilogy or of the film franchise series makes the cut, but every toy story film has, has a high replay value in its own way. And, uh, I've always enjoyed watching the first toy story. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really aged well and, uh, it's still fun to go back and watch today. Toy story three, uh, is the best toy story, you know, fight me because it is sorry. I've seen them all numerous times. And that one is just, the the way the what they were able to do with it being the third film is crazy how the level of excellence that it's at i only hope that toy story 4 doesn't fuck it up because it was originally supposed to come out in 2018 and it was shifted with incredibles 2 incredibles 2 was moved up toy story 4 was moved out because they were having issues oh that's not a bad thing. They've usually almost always had issues. Toy Story 2, they ran into delays because they wanted to make the quality a certain standard. I don't know the case of Toy Story 3, but that certainly has been consistent with some of the other films. But I would have to agree with you. Toy Story 3 is one of those rare instances where they wait years to make a sequel, and it's excellent. Usually they wait too long. You know, like another film we talked about, Dumb and Dumber. If you'd have came out with a sequel a couple years after the first one, it might have still retained some of that magic, but you waited too long, it fizzled out, and it just didn't work anymore. But Toy Story, the characters, I mean, they don't age their toys. It works being an animated film. Uh, and, and, and you're right, Pixar has done that a lot in the past as far as shifting the schedule around to make sure it is up, uh, up to par, um, so to speak. So uh, I'm not worried. I just, you know, I, I'm 
confident that they will not release anything other than a superb film. We talk about the impact of this film and we talked about best quotes. Well, the, the, the one quote that has had a huge legacy that goes beyond film and uh, an impact in pop culture and really hit the zeitgeist bullseye was to infinity and beyond. Uh, not only has this been featured on film, you know, themed merchandise, but and amongst philosophers and, and mathematical theorists, but in 2008, okay, during the STS-124, which is a space shuttle mission, astronauts took an action figure of Buzz Lightyear into space on the Discovery space shuttle, and even used the action figure for experiments. Hmm. That's awesome. The phrase occurs uh, to infinity and beyond. It, it it actually occurs in the lyrics of Beyonce's 2008 song "Single Ladies." Yep. AKA put a ring on it. Yep. We got to mention Quinn B. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy whenever it can permeate to that level of pop culture, but it is, um, I mean, I don't know who wrote that line. If it was Joss Whedon or one of the other screenwriters on that, but man, it just, who would have thought that, um, it would have just been, you know, such a, such a, it's really resonated, you yeah, know, such a resonating um, quote. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Toy Story musical was on the Disney Wonder Cruise ship. Uh, they had a Toy Story musical. Uh, so this has spawned, you know, a few different variations in different mediums. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't had a, a Broadway show of it yet or some kind of off-Broadway or Broadway musical of Toy Story. Uh, speak too soon. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll reboot it at some point. But we've got the three sequels from Toy Story we talked about, two, three, and the upcoming four in 2019. It's been delayed originally from 2018. We had a series of Toy Story short films. I believe they've had four short films. Mm-hmm. Uh, to- Toy Story, f- four short films as well. Video games. There was a storybook you could put on your computer, an animated storybook. I played it. They've had n- yep. Oh, how, how was it? I don't remember, but I remember, I think, one of, I think, <laughs> I think uh, actually our sister had it, and I like was helping her with it, but it's like you kinda, you got to drive the RC car around the neighborhood to try to catch the moving van, and I always love playing that level. It was a lot. It was. Oh, that sounds fun. Really kind of cool. like your, yeah, go back to your Mario Kart days there. So what it sounds like. Um, numerous theme park attractions, you know, at Magic Kingdom, Disneyland, Disney World. So, yeah, so the film has certainly lived on and, and, and has branched out into different mediums of entertainment for people to continue to enjoy these characters in this world that uh, Pixar created. And I also love that they continue to like, well, they'll reference the Toy Story characters in other Pixar films like in Finding Nemo. Um, Buzz Lightyear is an action figure or like he's one of the toys in the dentist's office and uh, some of uh, I think it's Woody and Buzz are pinatas in Coco and there's been other numerous references that I'm overlooking but they always kind of drop hints of them in there and I just I love how Pixar does that and they do they do it with other characters too. And to really sum it up with this film, and there's a lot to quantify and extrapolate with uh, how the movie was made and, and, and why we enjoy watching it over and over again. But Roger Ebert had this to say, and he compared it, uh, the film to Roger Rabbit. Both movies take apart the universe of cinematic visuals and put it back together again, allowing us to see in a new way. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you very much for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. That does help us out a ton, and you know, we really, we would really appreciate it. Remember to download new episodes every other Tuesday. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye.